Mac Power Users 353, setting up your new Mac. Hello, friends. It's David Sparks along with my pal, Katie Floyd. How are you today, Katie Floyd? I'm well, David. How are you? Excellent. It has been many years since we talked about setting up a new Mac, and you just bought a new Mac, right? Yes, I've gone through the process, and I have the scars to uh, prove it. So we're going to talk a little bit about setting up a new Mac, uh, what to do with your old Mac, and we're going to talk a little bit about the new MacBook Pro. Yeah, wait a second. You have scars? I mean, you're on a podcast called Mac Power Users. How could this be hard? It's incredibly difficult. Yeah, it is. Actually, there are things, to, traps to fall into when setting up your new Mac. So uh, we did a show on this way, way long ago, but time, times have changed. Technology has changed, and I think our strategies have changed. So it's time for an update. Uh, so the two thousand late 2016 version of setting up your new Mac is about to begin. Um, let's start with, um, actually, before we talk about your new Mac, let's talk about what you do with your old Mac. Yeah. So the first place to start with setting up a new Mac is probably before that new Mac even arrives. I like to do a little spring cleaning on the old Mac that you're getting ready to get rid of, that you're repurpose, recycle, pass down, whatever it is you're going to do. Presumably, you're going to do some kind of transfer of data from that old Mac to the new Mac. And you certainly don't want to transfer anything that you don't have to. So I think it's a good time to clean the cruft out of that old Mac, things that you may not need, apps that you no longer use, just a good time to give it a good old dusting off. Well, and this really partly depends on what you're going to do with it. Usually when you get a new one, it means uh, you're not going to keep the old one. I mean, some people have an extra they want to spare or something like that. But a lot of times you're handing it down or you're selling it or you're putting it in use somewhere else. Um, so that, I think, plays a role in this. If you're going to be handing it down to a friend or, or selling it, uh, you're going to end up wiping it. And we'll talk about that later, about you know, how you kind of wipe all your data off of it before you get rid of it. Um, but but if you're um, keeping it, then it's it's even a better case for cleaning the cruft. Um, you know, and the other the other piece of this is whether you're, you're going to migrate it, because when you're saying that new one and this is another, you know, foreshadowing of something we're going to talk about later. There's a way to just connect them and let them migrate over to one another. Um, and in that case, you definitely want to clean the cruft. But it, it partly depends on what your intention is with the device. Well, I think you're going to transfer some amount of data, even if you're just transferring pure files and folders. Why not go through those anyway? I mean, why why do that on the new Mac? Now's a good time to do it. You're thinking about it, do it on the old Mac as well. And so what I typically do is I go through and I uninstall any unnecessary applications, especially applications that I think that I'm not going to transfer over to the new Mac for a couple of reasons. Um, number, I, even though I typically don't transfer my applications from one Mac to another, uh, it's, it's a good time just to clear that cruft out and I'll keep my old Mac typically for a week or so after I have a new Mac. I did not this time and that might've been an issue. And I'll sometimes I'll go through the old Mac to see and make sure I've transferred everything over to the new Mac. So if I have something, I know that I'm not going to transfer over to the new Mac. Might as well just get it off of the old one anyway. I think that's a good that's good advice. Um, another piece of this is is large files. It's a good time to take a look at large files on your drive. Uh, we had a sponsor years ago. They were named Daisy Disk, and it's just a really great app. They've continued to upgrade. They don't sponsor the show anymore, and that's cool. But the um, 
But man, I use this every time I, I have that problem. It has these great little circles that shows you kind of the areas of your disk drive. You can go through it and it does a good job. The app has continued to be developed over the years. And I've never had to buy it again, so they're always updating, which is great. Um, if you don't want to spend money, if you go up in the left corner where you've got a little Apple icon, uh, there's the About This Mac. And something that Apple has actually improved a lot since the last time we talked about something like this is the uh, displays there. And if you go to storage, it shows you the, the available space on it. It shows you what it's calculated out. And it, if you click on the little Manage button there, uh, there's some real good options for you. Um some of them are uh, a little nerve, uh, make me a little nervous, like store in iCloud. We've talked about that in recent shows. I'm not sure you should be pushing that button yet, but uh, you can have it empty the trash automatically. And there's a button called reduce clutter, which will go through and look at the um, the files on your drive and organize them in different ways for you to kind of see them. It's not as, as good as Daisy Disk, quite frankly, but it does uh, give you a way to find large files. So, so this is a good time as part of that spring cleaning Look at those and decide, do I want to bring that file over to the new Mac or is this something I need to archive or is this something I don't care about anymore and I can delete? Um, that's like, as an example, I had a bunch of drafts of some of the books I've written where um, I had like beta versions of the books as I was testing them, sending them to friends before they got released. And I realized, oh, I have like a lot of space used up for these versions of the book that never shipped and have been basically replaced by the final version. So why am I keeping all that stuff? So I went ahead and deleted a bunch of it and freed up a bunch of space. Um, the, another good one that I believe is still free and it's made by our friends, the Omni Group, and it has continued to work. I've used it as, as recently as this most recent uh, version is Omni Disk Sweeper. Now it shows things in a very different format. It shows it in a much more uh, hierarchical outline type format, not the you know centrifugal circles that Daisy Disk does. But it's it's another good one and a, and a free one that I've used for a long time. Uh, so in addition to doing a little cleaning on the old device before you make the transition, uh, a very important thing and something a lot of people miss is deactivating registered software. And this is a trap that uh, you can get in. It, it comes from some of the biggest companies are the ones that cause these problems. Uh, I remember like Adobe is a good version. I, I had bought a version of Adobe Acrobat. I paid like four hundred dollars for it years ago you know because uh it was before i discovered pdf pen and um so for a while i was i was moving that among from different macs but if i didn't unregister it and then i bought a new mac um and it, it would it would check and say oh you already used that registration code on the old mac so you're no good anymore you can't you can't use our software that was their like copy protection and the problem was i had sold the old mac before i realized it and it was a huge pain in the neck to get it sorted out that's the kind of stuff you can get in trouble with. Um, uh, so Adobe is one. What are some of the others that you need to deactivate, Katie? iTunes is one now. And you can fix it after the fact, but it's much easier if you can just deactivate iTunes before you get rid of the old Mac. And don't forget if you have an Audible account linked to that, that you deactivate Audible on that machine as well. You also do that within the iTunes interface. Yeah. And Microsoft has actually got better at this. They used to it used to be a big pain for Microsoft as well. You had to unregister your, your license for Office. If you have an Office 365 subscription, um, you can go on the Office 365 account and unregister an old device. I like looked recently and the old MacBook I had was still on there. So I unregistered it. And um, so you can do that online. But if you, if you want to be you know uh, cleaner about it, take care of that before you get rid of the old device. And while we're speaking about all of this software that you may have, 
You also need to think about what you're going to be taking over to your new computer and make sure that you have all of the things that you need to be able to do this. Um, serial numbers are still a thing. And so um, although the Mac App Store makes this less of an issue, you need to make sure that you have everything that you need to install all of that new software on your new computer. So this is a good time to go take an inventory Make sure that you have all the serial numbers for the applications that you regularly use. I store mine in 1Password. I think that's a good place to keep it so that you know that it's there. It's also good to occasionally go through there and clean out the cruft that may have accumulated in there as well for stuff that you no longer use or, or old versions that you don't need. Um, some people just use a spreadsheet. I used a spreadsheet for many years. Um, I now put all that stuff in 1Password. But you want to make sure that you have all your serial numbers and then also make sure that you have your installers. Um, most of these things can be direct downloaded from the internet, but there's some legacy or specialty software that may require specific installers. And I've saved a lot of these on my NAS over the years. How about you? Yeah, the um, this goes way back, Mac Power users. I used to have a Hazel script that would save those to, to my local big storage. But the um, uh, there's a couple caveats to that. One is that, a lot of these installers become deprecated because the software gets updated. Like if I went and pulled an installer for OmniFocus that I had six months ago, that's an old version of the software. So uh, it's not as big of a deal. Think think about more classic software. Like like if you used to buy the iWork suite on on disk, you could save that as a disk image to your to your NAS, or you could. Uh, one of the ones I did was, the, you know, Apple used to have these jam packs that you could buy for GarageBand. And this is really old stuff, man. I'm starting to feel old again. I'm, I keep saying that. But the uh, there were these great collections of instruments and music. And I use a lot of this stuff when I'm producing videos because I like to kind of come up with my own music. I've saved all of those. And those are the kinds of things that I have to pull over to a new Mac that I can't get any other way. You know what I just had to install this weekend? What? iDVD. Oh, yeah. You told me you were working with ITVD again. I think we're going to have to hear about that someday on MPU. Um, that's an old one. I And I had to do it from an old... There's no way to download it. Well, at least legitimately uh, from the internet. I had to do it from an old iLife install CD that I had. Wow. Wow. Does it still work? Yes. Uh, not all of not all of the themes, but the, the more current themes that are included with the current installation still work. It It is the best way that I can find now to burn a DVD on the Mac. Um, another thing people will do, and we're going to talk in a, bit, in a minute about how you set up the new Mac. I, I am, to give you a spoiler, I, I like to just kind of add things as I need them. But some people want to, um, don't want to use migration assistant, but they still want to get everything largely up to speed. And um, and one thing that you can do in that case is just take an open finder, go to your applications folder, and just take a couple screenshots of what you've got installed on the existing machine, save those screenshots to your photo library or put them in Dropbox or put them wherever you put photos or images uh, so you can see them on the new machine. And that would give you a reminder once you get up to speed on the new machine, what apps it is that you want to install. Uh, I think that's kind of helpful. And then I always have a few things, no matter how hard I try, that always elude me when I'm installing on a new machine. It's always Hazel for me. It's always my Hazel rules. Well, that's not so much of an issue now, right? Because they have real sync. It's a little less of an issue now that they sync. But as we'll talk about a little later in the show, in my pain points, I screwed something up. And so I broke this. Yeah, um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> right. But um, yeah, so the Hazel rules, I always end up having to go back and, and get out of my um, application support folder. 
yeah, I, I set up more Macs than the average bear because I think, you know, buy more Macs. Um, uh, one of the ones that used to always get me is all my automation stuff, uh, like Apple scripts and even just little, you know, shell scripts and things that I use to kind of speed things along. And I got in the habit, and this I've been doing this for years, but I keep a Dropbox folder called just automation. And every time I make an Apple script or every time I use some kind of bit of code, um, I save it to that folder in Dropbox. And that way, any I could go to any Mac in the world and go ahead and download that stuff. And I still have to do some assembly, and there's still some, I kind of have to glue it together again on a new machine. But at least I have all the source stuff I need. And now it's just ingrained with me. Every time I pick up a new script, I, I make it, wherever I'm putting on my Mac, a copy goes into that folder in Dropbox, and it really has saved my bacon with new machines. And if, if, you're, if you haven't done that yet, take a long look at any scripting and automation stuff you're doing on your existing Mac and try and get that stuff saved to Dropbox or some other place. iCloud would work too. Uh, before you um, before you pull the plug on that old one, because you don't want to have to recreate that stuff. It takes a long time and you've already done it once. And then, of course, probably the most important thing that you need to do, and I, and I think you probably do this right before you do the transfer from an old machine to a new machine, is you want to backup, backup, backup. That's three backups. That's a lot of backups. I, I think you want to do at least three, maybe more. I think I've got more. Three. Wow. Yes, absolutely. So I do a couple of things and, and we've done entire shows on our backup strategy, so we won't cover that. But I do all of my normal backups that I regularly do. So I make sure that all of my normal backups are up to date. So I've got my time machine backup. I've got my regular clone backup. I've got my backup clone backup. I've got my backblaze backup. So those are all snapshotted and up to date and everything is is good to go. Um, I also use this opportunity to make sure that all my devices are synced and everything is good. And then I create a separate, and, and I talk about this every time I do a major operating system upgrade, and I think it's even more important to do now. I create a separate shelf backup, and this is a backup that I can hang on to for at least a few months. Um, this is my emergency escape pod backup, that if something goes wrong, and I find months from now that there's a file or a setting missing, which inevitably I will, um, or if I need to downgrade or go back, that this backup is going to be around. And I've done this a couple of different ways. And in fact, I, I typically do it two different ways. Um, one is I've got a NAS that I will create a um, secure a disk image, a secure disk image, and both SuperDuper and Carbon Copy Cloner will allow you to back up just your home folder, which which has most of the important stuff that you need so you're not backing up your entire hard drive. And so I will do a backup of my home folder to that secure disk image, and that's going to get me everything that's saved in my home folder, including all of my settings, backed up to that secure disk image. And I'll keep that for years. In fact, I was just looking. I still have the secure disk image from when I migrated to my last computer. So that tells you how long I, I keep those. Um, and then I just have another backup that I keep on the shelf that's just on a spare USB drive that I'll probably keep for at least three months. Yeah, I think if there's one bit of advice from this first segment, that's that's the most important. It is this shelf idea of a shelf backup. It's it's not in your rotation. You're just going to take a mirror image of the entire computer. And I don't I would recommend going, you know, if you just do one and honestly, I just do one when I do these because I already have everything else backed up in other other ways. But the computer that's getting retired, 
um, I will get a just a USB drive. I just bought a USB drive today because I decided I'm going to put my um, my iMac on a local time machine backup rather than going to the um, time capsule. And I online I got a um, a four terabyte USB drive that's USB powered. It's light. I can Velcro it to the bottom of my desk so I don't even have to think about it. And it was $112 on Amazon. So just to give you an idea, this is not super expensive. That was four terabytes. My guess is you're going to need something smaller uh, for your existing Mac when you're getting rid of one. And just get one of these things. Just FYI, I like the 3M double stick tape more than I like Velcro. It, it's a little more permanent, but it sticks better. Okay, good to know. Good to know. I use the, there's like an industrial Velcro I started getting at Home Depot a few years ago. And that stuff, that stuff holds on pretty good. Um, but anyway, uh, the uh, get one of these. Uh, it does not need to be fast. It does not need to be the latest and greatest hard drive. It just needs to be something that, you know, is going to last you for six months that you can stick in a drawer. And the reason you stick it in the drawer is because inevitably, like Katie says, in six months, you're going to say, oh, yeah, what about that one special video song I pr- produced and I, ca- I put in that unique folder for some reason? <laughs> Everybody has that file. Maybe it's a picture of, of your uncle or whatever. And uh, you just throw that in a drawer and it's like, it's like miniaturizing your existing Mac into just its its most basic atomic level. And it takes up no space. You throw it in a drawer. And then um, if you ever need it, it's there for you. And that, like I said, if there was one piece of advice you take from this entire first segment, it's get that backup drive. Um, one other thing that occurred to me while Katie was talking about backups, though, was something I think you need to be aware of also in 2016 is just making your iCloud and whatever other cloud-based storage is up to date. Um, you know, make sure you, if you're storing your photos in the Apple photos app, make sure whatever is on that Mac is, is cloud backed up. You know, if for some reason it's not run photos long enough to make sure it is, make sure all your Dropbox stuff is up, make sure all your iCloud stuff is uploaded because once you take that thing off the grid, if those things were stored locally and for some reason not in the cloud, that's going to be a big uh, hitch in your giddy up. So, uh, take a minute check all your cloud accounts and make sure they're all up to speed as well before you move on to the next one. And I misspoke. It is Scotch heavy-duty mounting tape, not 3M mounting tape. I'll put a link in the show notes. Okay, I'll get some. It's it's very important. I have a couple of rolls. I have a roll at work and a roll at home, and you just never know. I use this to stick my Apple TVs to the back of my TV. Um, a little dabble, do you? I used to put, like, I used to, like, cover the back of my Apple TVs with this tape and stick it. And um, I had a little issue where I couldn't get the Apple TV off the back of my TV. So, yeah, don't have to overdo it. Katie's tip for the show. I want to take a moment and thank our longtime sponsor, Smile, for their support of Mac Power users. And I want to talk to you a little bit about Text Expander. I want you to consider giving the gift of Smile this year and give someone the most precious gift of all, time. You can do that by giving the gift of Text Expander, and you can learn more by heading over to smilesoftware.com slash MPU. You know that I am a huge fan of Text Expander. In fact, as we discuss in this show, it is one of the first apps that both David and I install on a brand new Mac because we simply cannot function without Text Expander on our Mac. Why? Because it allows us to quickly and easily expand small little letters into great big snippets of text. In fact, if you look at the text expander preferences, you will see that I have saved days of my life by using text expander. In fact, it's a pretty neat statistic if you go look at it from time to time. And if you know how invaluable of a 
tool text expander is, then you probably want to help your friends, families, colleagues, and loved ones save as much time as you have by giving them the gift of a text expander subscription. You can even help get them up to speed quickly by sharing some of your favorite snippets groups. Now, and of course, we shouldn't be limited to sharing just text expander. You know how easy it is to wrangle your PDFs with ease using PDF Pen for Mac. And with PDF Pen, you can scan, OCR, edit, and even export your documents into Word format. So why should you keep all of that PDF fun to yourself? If you have a friend or colleague who is struggling with PDFs or perhaps using the built-in PDF reader on their computer or another tool, maybe they don't know that there's a better way. You can give the gift of PDF Pen for Mac, PDF Pen for iPad or iPhone, or PDF Pen Scan Plus to a friend or colleague as well. And you can give this gift by using the Gift This App feature on the Mac App Store. So with the holiday season upon us, I want to encourage you to think a little bit about all the time and frustration and hassle that the great tools made by Smile have saved you. And think about maybe giving the gift of the tools of PDF Pen and Text Expander and PDF Pen Scan Plus and PDF Pen for iOS to your friends and colleagues as well. And also, if you think about it, Maybe you could also this holiday season say thanks to one of your favorite developers for making all of these great apps. For now, you can get more information by heading over to smilesoftware.com slash MPU. And we want to say thanks to the fine folks over at Smile for their longtime support of Mac Power users. Okay, forget about that old machine, Katie Floyd. Um, you got a fancy, probably white box from Apple and you open it up and... Uh, you had that hallelujah moment with your new hardware. You pulled it out. Did you get did you get the little thing on the screen where it's got the little thin like rice paper on the screen that you can peel off? Uh, no, the, there was a little protector thing between the keyboard and the screen, though. That's what I mean. And then they've got the plastic you got to unwrap. I mean, all that stuff. You got the whole ritual you go through. How are you going to get data on this fancy new machine? Well, generally, you have three options, I think, for transferring data. And let's kind of take a moment to go through these. So option one is you can use Migration Assistant and just move everything over. In fact, Apple will walk you through this first thing when you open a new computer. Um, There's there's another option, which I kind of think is a partial migration, and that's where you migrate really just your data only, but you don't bring any apps over. And so that migrates things like your documents and your settings. And then the third option, which is what I typically do when I get a new machine, is you can just start completely fresh. You don't migrate anything over and you start from scratch. So let's kind of run through those options and and talk pro cons. Yeah, well, to me, there's a spoiler with this one too. Take option three. I mean, if you're listening to us, don't don't bother with options one or two. Uh, the problem with migration assistant, which was awesome years ago when there was when cloud storage wasn't much of a thing, is I, I think that Apple's moving too fast. The processes are changing. And it's just too easy to get some kind. You talked about cruft earlier. Why on earth would you want to take all the cobwebs out of your old house and move them into your new house? And that's what you're doing with Migration Assistant. If there is some some kind of corruption or something, I think you're just asking for it with Migration Assistant. Uh, And tell me if you disagree, Katie. But in my opinion at this point, I don't think Migration Assistant is a good option anymore. I'm against it. All right. Even though we said we were going to talk about the pros and cons of both. So let's talk about option two, which is a partial migration where you migrate over your data, but you reinstall all your apps. 
this I think is a pretty happy medium. I think especially if you've got a clean operating system, um, if you haven't been using your machine that long, if maybe you've done a clean install fairly recently, and particularly if you've done a pretty good job with step one that we talked about so long ago, which was um, cleaning out all the cruft, this is, although we, we both said that our preference is step three to start fresh, I think this is not necessarily a bad intermediary step. Another qualification I would add is if you're a person who's not sold on cloud storage and you keep everything local and you don't really have much in the cloud, I think that makes a lot more sense there. Well, I would also, I would say the opposite, David. I would say this makes even more sense possibly if you if you rely on cloud storage because you're not migrating all that much. So you're really just getting all of your settings and things back and you're going to be reinstalling all of your data basically from cloud storage anyway. So who cares? Yeah. Yeah, uh, that's a good argument. Um, but basically, Migration Assistant will give you the option to pick and choose what it is you want to reinstall. Do you re reinstall just the stuff in your home folder? Do you want to reinstall applications? Do you want to reinstall everything? So that's what we talk about with with a partial migration of data only. Again, it's it's kind of a medium. Um, it, it may not be the best option, but if you're on a time crunch or if you need to make sure that you get all of those settings moved over, this is probably the way to do it. Yeah. Okay. Well, and, but, you know, just to just stay where I'm at, I, I feel pretty strongly about just starting from scratch these days. So, so let us know, maybe I'm wrong and, and give us an audio comment. Tell me why I'm wrong when we uh, do the live show, but the, um, but uh, those are your options. You can either pull something over from the old machine or you can start again from scratch. Then the argument I would make is that it's just so much easier now to start from scratch than it used to be, that that it's a much better option for a lot of people. than. So if you made this decision 10 years ago and you've just been sticking with it on autopilot, it's time to go back and reconsider that. So what are the things you need to consider um, as you get started? Yeah, well, let's let's talk a little bit about what starting from scratch means when you do that. Um, you just skip past the part where it says migration assistant. You're going to, you know, create a new user account. And then when you start up your Mac, it's going to have nothing but the default Apple apps installed there. So you're going to be opening with a clean slate. And you don't get a chime anymore. Well, no chime. there's a terminal command for that. But no, you don't get a chime anymore. Not with the new MacBook Pros. Um, so you're going to want to move some stuff over. Let's let's talk a little bit about how you might do that and a couple of things that you need to consider with any of these options. Um, one of the things but, that... But wait, I have to know something. Okay. Does, does that make you sad that your computer doesn't make a chime anymore? Honestly, I haven't noticed it. I was much more upset about the loss of the Happy Mac. Remember the Happy Mac when you turn your Mac on and yes. it's happy for you? Yes. I, I was much more upset about that than the chime. Than the charm. The chimes. All right. Sorry, I got sidetracked. You did. All right. So let's talk about some of the things you have to consider, because one way or another, you're going to have to plug likely something into this Mac or install something onto this brand new pristine Mac. Uh, very few people use their Mac stock out of the box without adding anything to them. One of the things that I had to deal with with my new MacBook Pro is out of the box, I didn't have a single thing that would plug into it. I didn't have one thing that would fit into those little USB-C plugs. And so something to consider is... Physically, how am I going to connect any of these hard drives or any of these backups that I just made to my new machine to transfer my data over? Yeah, it's particularly true right now as we're going through a transition in ports. Thankfully, I didn't have to transfer a ton over by physical wire. I, like you mentioned, have a lot of my stuff now stored primarily in Dropbox and in other cloud storage solutions. I would say, you know, at this point, and this is really interesting if you think about now versus when we started doing the show, 
I would say 90 plus percent of my stuff came over wirelessly by by Dropbox or downloaded through the Mac App Store, probably closer to 95%. Yeah, it's so nice. <laughs> that is a really nice thing. Uh, but still, I did I did have to think about it because some things had to be plugged into it. So that is a consideration that you need to make is how are you going to physically connect either your old machine or your backup hard drives to your new machine to transfer your data? And uh, so make sure that you have the right dongle. And I'll give you all of my thoughts on dongles and tell you about all the dongles that I bought a, a little bit later in the show. Um, the other thing that you need to think about is will your existing hardware work with your new machine? And even if we're not talking about physically plugging in hard drives, um, think about all the peripherals that you have. Um, out of the box, my monitor didn't work with my new machine. My scan snap didn't work with my new machine. Um, my CD burner didn't work with my new machine. Uh, my mouse and keyboard didn't work with my new machine because they use that little um, RF uh, USB RF sensor from Logitech. They're not Bluetooth. Is it fair to say that anything that has the old USB connector didn't work with your new machine? Nothing I owned worked with my new machine. I guess the printer worked because it was an AirPrint printer, but that's it. So all things to think about. All right. And, and th- especially now, because we're we're in the midst of this transition. Um, so so get the get the adapter <laughs> before you leave the store. If you need to pull something off a hard drive or you can have a little bit of a, tr- a problem there. Other things you have to think about are software compatibility, um, especially so if you're moving between different OSs. I know several people, um, probably not in the Mac Power Users audience, but probably people you know, who the only time that they ever upgrade their software or they upgrade their operating system is when they get a new Mac. Yeah, I think that's more of a PC thing. But mm, It happens more often in the Mac community than you would think. Yeah, I, I, you probably see it because you're in the user groups, right? Um, but the uh, but most of the software you get these days, you don't have a choice. I mean, Microsoft Office is great. They, they tell me that I need to update my updater, and they update the updater, and then the updater tells me update Word. So I, I get two for one with that one on a regular basis. I mean, mo- most people that are running current software because it's all connected to the cloud get those updates forced on them. What, what kind of software isn't auto-updating at this point? Well, anything that you don't pay—I mean, some things you don't pay, you pay for don't that you haven't paid you haven't paid for the auto the update. So maybe you have an old version of something, but only the new version is compatible with your system. You know, for example, especially if you're using an older operating system. Uh, QuickBooks from a few versions back is not compatible with Sierra. Of course, Intuit. Of course. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> or uh, Adobe from several versions back, if you're not using the, the cloud-based software. There are a lot of people, David, who don't have the most recent versions of all the software that they're running or who aren't subscribing to fancy subscription services for their software. Well, And it's funny how we keep coming back to these super big software companies as being the ones that are most difficult with. I mean, like, Pixelmator, I bet, just download it onto your new Mac, no problem. You know, it, it seems to me like these big companies need to get it together. All right. Um, well, you want to you want to talk about the apps we use to start it, uh, start up the uh, new computer as you're getting loaded up? Yeah, let's let's talk about that, and then we'll talk a little bit about what to do with your your old Mac. So, um, well, let, let's do that first, and then um, and then do the starter apps because I think that's going to take a while talking about our starter apps. Well, so what do you do with your old Mac? We'll do this a little bit of out of uh, order, and I'll say do what I say, not what I did. But let's let's think about first off, how long should you keep your old Mac? I mean, a lot of these new Macs are very expensive, and I know a lot of people, myself included, wanted to sell their old Mac as quickly as possible to finance the cost of the new Mac. Yeah, it's funny. It's people are two camps. I know that we have some listeners that have a shelf somewhere with a stack of them going back, you know, ages to maybe 
a 512 Mac, you know, back to the beginning. Um, I, um, I want to turn them into cash, <laughs> get them out of my life or, or, uh, hand them down to my kids. I don't, I don't keep them long. Uh, the whole reason for that big, uh, you know, talk about getting that, the special drive and saving it to the drive and keeping the drive in your drawers so you can get rid of the old Mac without having to worry about it. So, um, I would say a couple weeks probably just to make sure everything's working. I would certainly check the integrity of my backup drive to make sure it had all my data on it. But if that was okay, I think that would be fine. I have in my years of doing this, I've never been able to, or I should say I have never been unable to get something I needed off that backup drive. Um, that wasn't that I would have needed the original Mac to access. But that also goes back a little bit to me talking about earlier, making sure you have all your cloud backups done, making sure your photos are uploaded and all that stuff, because that's something you would need the old Mac for. Yeah. And the other thing, obviously, you want to do, um, you want to make sure you don't have a dud. It happens. Sometimes you get a dead on arrival machine or you find out that the machine just simply is not going to work for you. And if you've already sold your old Mac, you may be stuck. And for some reason with these new machines, uh, you had a problem and another friend of mine had a problem with a new one. So maybe, you know, because they're brand new, uh, you might want to keep the old one just a little bit longer. Make sure you didn't get it dead. All right. Uh, and we did a whole show about selling your old hardware. So we'll put a link in the show notes. But just the, the brief rundown is securely erase your data. Job number one, get your data off the thing. Reinstall the, uh, the new operating system. But before you run down that, let's talk for a second about securely erasing your data. because. There's been a lot of stuff going back and forth about that with how do you do that in the age of an SSD? Because Apple has actually removed the option now to secure empty trash and to secure erase your um, your built-in hard drive now or to zero it out because you're not really supposed to do that with SSDs anymore. So what do you do? You tell me you're the fancy new Mac owner. <laughs> I've actually uh, put a link in the show notes to an article uh, that actually is on our friends over at Backblaze blog. Uh, Peter Cohen is now writing for their blog over there and has written um, up extensively uh, how to do it. And so it's how to prep your Mac's hard drive and securely erasing SSDs and why you shouldn't. So there's still a way that you you can do it if you really want to, booting from the um, uh, recovery partition. But the the short version is, particularly if you're using FileVault in an SSD, that FileVault encrypting your hard drive is going to take care of you. And then when you get rid of the password or the encryption key, that that data is going to remain all gibbery and and irrecoverable so that uh, with file vault turned on when you restart your mac into the recovery system and that's by holding down the uh, command and the r keys at startup and then you erase the hard drive using disk utility um that you've you've now erased that file vault key which means that the data on the drive is now useless so that's really the that's really the best way to do it and then you reinstall the OS. Don't don't leave any. You know, don't don't kill your user account and just sell the Mac as is. Um, you don't be tempted to take any shortcuts at this point. Take the time to just reinstall the OS and give the person a machine from scratch. Uh, not only does I think that make your your data more secure or inaccessible, it also uh, hopefully avoids the the buyer having problems with the machine. And, and then, of course, there's the question of should you leave anything on the Mac? Because you used to see all the time people say, oh, well, I'm leaving this Mac with my applications on it so that the new buyer can can use that. 
Um, and, and even if you mean well to do it, I mean, my dad did this and I begged him and begged him not to when he handed his iMac down to his father. And, and you know, it was just it was just simple Mac App Store apps and it was all in the family. And, it, you know, he didn't mean anything by it other than to try to give his dad's copies of his apps. We had nothing but problems. We had nothing but problems because now does the Mac want my dad's Mac App Store ID or my grandfather's Mac App Store ID? And now who was going to update it? And what passwords did you put in? And, um, you know, who, and then gra- grandpa starts buying stuff on your dad's account. I mean, yeah. Just- and whose registration does goes here? And then my dad goes to update something and he can't because grandpa's already done it. Uh, it just it. He meant well, and it created all kinds of problems. So, you know, who had to go back in and fix it and end up deleting everything and redoing it from scratch again? That would be me. Um, what did Steve Jobs call? What's that saying? He said once a bag of hurt or something like that. It's a bag of hurt. Yeah, it's a bag of hurt. Not just get get the stuff off. Don't don't put your stuff off. And if you're giving it to a stranger and you leave your apps on, then you're just that's just being a masochist. You're just asking so for so much trouble. So just, you know, erase it clean. Start over again. Uh, and I want to get on to the, the apps we install on the new Mac. I'm tired of the old Mac, Katie. I want to talk about the new one. But real quick, how do you sell? How are you going to go about selling your old one? Uh, there are a couple of ways that you can. I've been pretty fortunate the last couple of times that that I've had reason to sell a new Mac. I've had buyers come to me. <laughs> People tend to know that uh, I'm selling a new Mac, whether it's uh, friends of friends or family or people in my Mac user group. The word tends to get out that Katie's getting a new Mac and that Katie's Macs are in pretty good shape and uh, I actually had four people lined up to sell my new MacBook Air before I even got my new MacBook Pro. So I, I, that's fortunate. I'm, not everybody is in that same situation. There are a couple of ways that you you can and probably a couple of ways that you shouldn't do it. Um, certainly, if you have a network of, of like-minded Mac friends or a, a place where you can post, like my local Mac users group has a listserv, um, you know, you can post something on there. Um, there are always concerns when you're selling your Mac to a third party. And so you need to be very clear up front about the kind of condition it is and what, if any, kind of warranty you're going to give. I mean, what are you going to do if all of a sudden it needs a major repair two weeks after you sell it? Or what's going to happen if the new user needs help setting it up or doesn't have anything? So those are things that you you want to be cognizant of. The The other options, if you don't know anybody or know anybody who knows anybody that you can sell it through is... You could go the eBay or Craigslist route. Um, you just need to be aware that that's potentially a bag of hurt too. I sold one Mac on eBay and it was a scam. Thankfully, I didn't get scammed because it got caught. But uh, I-, I vowed then that I would never do it again. Yeah, And our sometimes sponsor, Gazelle, is another place. And there's other online services that are more reputable you can go to where basically you click a box, they give you a price, and then you know they send you the box and you send them the computer for money. Um, we used to talk about how we all, both of us used to try and sell them within three years because you could sell them to the new buyer with some of the Apple care left on it. Um, I just got so I keep them much longer than three years now, um, even if I don't keep using it. Like my my daughter is using the 13 match Mac 13 inch MacBook Air. I think it was the very first iteration of the, uh, you know, the wedge shaped MacBook Air. So what I would guess that computer is about six years old now, maybe. Um, And it still works fine. So it's (laughs) I'm not in as big of a hurry to sell them as I used to be. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Pearl and their rear vision backup camera. Get $50 off by going to pearlauto.com slash MPU. If you're buying a fancy new car these days, most likely it's got a backup camera in it. 
But not everyone has a backup camera in their car. Maybe your car is older or you didn't get the super fancy model. Pearl believes that the latest in automotive technology should be available to everyone. And that's why they created the rear vision camera. Pearl's founders all met at Apple when they worked on the iPod and the iPhone. They came together because of their goals to change automotive technology. The Pearl Rear Vision Auto Camera is an advanced backup camera and alert system that you can install on any car in just minutes. It's a wireless solar-powered camera frame that goes around your license plate with dual HD cameras that work both in day and night with fantastic wide-angle views. Because it's solar-powered, you don't need to worry about any wires at all. The theft-resistant frame installs securely around your license plate, connecting wirelessly to the adapter you plug into your car's ODB port. It takes just a few minutes to get everything up and running. There is no drilling required. Once you've got it installed, it uses advanced image processing, and the video stream it receives from the camera to the frame detect obstacles in your path providing audio and visual alerts that it sends to the Pearl app on your phone. Not only does it give you a live video stream from the rearview camera, you can even pan around to get a good view seeing all obstacles and even peek around corners when you're backing up. In a really nice touch, they include a mount so you can even mount your phone inside your car. I received a demo unit and installed it on my wife's minivan. It's a big car and it's always bothered me that there's no backup camera with it. Now we have one. It's a massive safety improvement to the car and makes navigating crowded parking lots and getting out of driveways so much easier. You can tell it was made by former Apple guys because the app is really well done. And my favorite feature is the solar power. I don't have to worry about charging this thing. It just keeps working. I'm super impressed with this product and really glad we've got it on my wife's car now. This would actually make a great holiday gift for that nerd in your life. To learn more about the Rear Vision camera, just go to pearlauto.com slash MPU. And just because you're a listener of this show, you'll get $50 off. Once again, just go to pearlauto.com slash MPU, and this discount will be applied automatically when you check out. Thank you so much to Pearl with the Rear Vision camera for supporting this show and all of Relay FM. All right, David, you've wanted to get to this for a while. Let's talk about what are the first things you do when that new Mac starts up for the first time? Yeah, so so granted, we are not doing a migration, but we're we're doing a clean install. Um, it's kind of fun to just figure out what do you put on, I even have a little bit of a strategy as to how you get things rolling. And I definitely have one for the first couple apps I load because it, it makes a difference. Um, the first thing I always do is enable iCloud. And the reason I do that is because iCloud is where I store my 1Password database. And 1Password is a gem for setting up a new Mac. I mean, we talk about it. it it's a sometimes sponsor of the show. But in addition to storing your passwords, it also has a really great function where it stores all of your license keys and um, just all the little bits of data you need when you're setting up a new computer. So uh, I want that as soon as possible. So I turn on iCloud. And also at the same time, I turn on File Vault. So, because why why shouldn't it go ahead and just start encrypting right away? Especially if it's a laptop, but even if it's a desktop, I'll just turn on File Vault as I get started. And then uh, once everything gets rolling, the first app I download is One Password. And I, usually, iCloud uh, syncs the files in a way that allows the One Password data to become accessible pretty quickly because it's a small file; it's a relatively small file. 
and uh, and one password will see its database. And when you load up one password for the first time, it'll say, "Oh, I see. There's a one password file on iCloud. Would you like me to use that?" And you say, "Yes, I would very much. Thank you." And suddenly you've got all the stuff you need to get rolling. And you know what the next one is, right, Katie? Yeah, I'm guessing Text Expander. Oh, drop yeah, Dropbox. You got to Dropbox. Yeah, I Dropbox. thought you'd already done I Dropbox. I got it in the outline, Katie. Yes. <laughs> it's I wasn't paying attention. <laughs> but but Dropbox, yeah, because and this is uh because I store a lot of data on Dropbox. If you're not a Dropbox user and you're just using iCloud, then you don't need that step. But um that big Dropbox download to me is also something I want to get going. So if within the first hour you can get iCloud set up, get the file vault rolling, one password and Dropbox going. Uh, you've solved a lot of your problems. And and one thing I would mention, Dropbox does this ingenious thing where if it's on a network where there's another computer that has the Dropbox data on it, it will do a bunch of the data transfer Wi-Fi uh, directly over the local network as opposed to going up to the cloud and pulling it down, which which gets your bandwidth out of the way, saves you some bandwidth if you've got bandwidth restrictions, and it also allows the data to transfer much more quickly. But if you've got a lot of Dropbox storage, maybe... The thing to do at that point, um, you can just just let it go. I mean, like if you're doing it later in the day, you say, okay, I'll just leave it running overnight. So in the morning, it'll have all my data on it. If you can't wait, however, um, another thing I do very quickly is I install Text Expander because once again, I've got some automation stuff in Text Expander that even as I'm setting up a new Mac, I want to have available to me. And, and honestly, when I'm on a keyboard and I type a snippet and something doesn't happen, my mind blows up. And then there is what I call the App Store Sweep. And uh, I bet you did one of these in the last couple of weeks, right, Katie? I did, yep. It's so fun based on, you know, remembering the old days of pulling out the CDs and loading up and, you know, digging for the license codes. I mean, there's a lot of things that people don't like about the Mac App Store and their legitimate complaints that, that both users and developers have. But when you're setting up a new Mac and you can just scroll through the list of purchases, if you go in the app store and you click, there's a little purchased button, click on that and just scroll through it and you'll see everything you've ever bought in the Mac app store. And you, and you click one button and it installs the app. There's no license code to install. There's no updates to worry about because you're getting the most recent version. And that is the best selling point for the Mac app store that exists to my mind is when you set up a new Mac, it is so ridiculously easy to go through and and I was looking recently like the first one of the first apps I got through the Mac App Store when it first started how many years ago was Evernote and even though it's at the bottom of the list cuz it's one of the first ones I I bought or downloaded I still use that and I still get the current version of Evernote when I click that button so uh while your Dropbox is grinding in the background and while this thing is getting itself set up uh going through that App Store sweep and just pressing the buttons you'll be amazed how quickly you get the lion's share of your apps rolling on this new computer. Can I just take this moment to do my quarterly rant on how much potential the Mac App Store had and how it was so floundered away? Yeah, I, I would argue that it's not floundered away. I, I'd, I'd argue that it's it, it, they have not taken advantage of it, but they, it's still not too late to fix it. I think in some respects it is. The developers are gone. They're leaving. They're fleeing. They're running. All right. Well, let's hear the rant. Well, I think that was about it. I'm still trying to decide whether flounder is the right word. I think it's flounder. Yes. So we we don't have, nor does it look like we will ever have upgrades, true upgrades on the Mac App Store. Some of the brilliant developers like an Omni Group have figured out ways to kind of work their way around it. But 
um, there's no true upgrade system. There's no really true way to try before you buy system on the Mac App Store. There are sandboxing restrictions, although they, they come from a, a good place and they come from a, a smart place of trying to protect our systems, have just gone so far beyond that we can't have any useful utilities in the Mac App Store. I mean, Text Expander can't be in the Mac App Store. Backup apps can't be in the Mac App Store. Backblaze can't be in the Mac App Store. None of these things can be in the Mac App Store because of, of the restrictions that have been put in it. Can we not have a special segment saying, hey, these are special applications. There's a reason they need to have this kind of access and this kind of utilities. Can they not go through some kind of extra vetting process in order to get into the Mac App Store? Um, and then there's this huge problem with App Store spam. I mean, if you go into the Mac App Store and type Excel into the search box, take a look at the type of stuff that you get. You're not going to find Microsoft Excel in the Mac App Store, but you're going to get a whole bunch of Mac App Store spam in there that's just these garbage applications that are trying just to trick people into using the Mac App Store because unfortunately now, people who primarily use the Mac App Store are not the most sophisticated power users because we're all gone. I think that's that's a very accurate summary. <laughs> but but what you're talking about, David, and I love this because I just went through it, is the power and the promise of the Mac App Store is you don't have to worry about updates. You don't have to worry about security. You don't. Every time you go to reinstall a Mac, it makes it so simple to find one place where you can go and re-download your apps. It's wonderful. But not everything that people listening to this show is going to come from the Mac App Store. Uh, some people stay away because the App Store is a hot mess. Some people stay away because um, the apps that they like are not there. Like a good example is the Omni Group. I buy. I've bought all their apps and. I buy the upgrades that come out every year or two and the app store doesn't support upgrades, you know, so we'll add that to our list of problems with the app store for productivity software upgrade is a legitimate model and it's not available to me. So I buy them from Omni directly. So the next thing I do after I do that app store sweep is I go to a few websites. I go to the Omni website and download all their apps and then I get them installed. And then I put in my, my, um, my, uh, my codes out of one password. You know, I just open up Omni focus. I, type in my, you know, my user code I got when I bought the app and I go through and do all of those. Um, another one that I do is Microsoft. I have, I'm a 365 subscriber. So you go on the website and you get that thing started and that's a big download. So that'll take a while. And then there's a couple other apps like PDF pin is another one I bought outside of the app store because I want to get upgrade pricing. Dragon professional is another one. It's not available in the app store. It's that dictation stuff I use all the time. So, and everybody listening to the show is going to have their own list, but you're going to have some list of third-party apps. So after you do the App Store sweep, go to your websites and download these. Now, I'm not saying you use your installers for this. You know, we talked earlier and and, early, and years ago on the show, we used to recommend that you, you save these installed disk images and you could just go back and use them when you set up a new Mac. But that doesn't make any sense anymore because now we have digital distribution and now these things are constantly updated and you don't want to install a year-old version of OmniFocus on your new Mac. Just go get the new one. Okay. So, um, so, but all this stuff so far hasn't taken that long when you think about it, right? Um, the, the app store sweep, you may download 20 apps in, in a couple minutes or at least get them started. Um, uh, the third party apps, you don't have to get disks and mess around. You just go to the websites, push the button and use one password to put in your license key. Um, all this stuff, that's why that's why I'm such a fan of just starting from scratch anymore, because it just doesn't take that long. All right. So after you've got all of your apps installed, how do you get all of your settings back to normal? 
Yeah, I, I do what I call kind of the automation run. I tie up all the loose ends with automation and and I don't do them all at this point. Like I've got a bunch of scripts. I mean, my my Mac is very customized. I'm, a, I'm on a show called Mac Power Users, so think about it, right? Um, but I do tie up my automation. Like I get Keyboard Maestro installed. I've already got Text Expander installed. You know, uh, Hazel is already installed. And so I just make sure everything is generally glued together and working. Uh, and and like another thing I do is I have a list of keyboard shortcuts, you know, the command P trick to print and the the trick to save to OmniFocus. And I've got, you know, multiple keyboard shortcuts and I've memorized them at this point because I do this often enough that I remember. But if you don't make a list, take a screenshot of all your keyboard shortcuts. Uh, I have a series of screen uh, shortcuts I use in Apple Mail so I can change the send from account with a keyboard shortcut. You know, if I hit... Uh, Control Option Command Q. It's from. It comes from my my legal account. If I hit W, it comes from Max Barking. If I hit E, it comes from my personal account. So I just I just hammer those in. And I did post it at uh, maxsparky.com to show you how to do all this stuff and a bunch of other keyboard shortcuts. But but this is what I'm. This is what I do next. And and I like to kind of just get this stuff tied together as Dropbox is finishing its download and you know everything is just kind of cooking away. And and I'm not going to get all of that the first time. Because at some point I will hit a keyboard shortcut like a Pavlovian dog and nothing will happen. I'll like, oh, I missed one and then I'll go fix it. But because I've saved all my scripts and everything to Dropbox, if I do miss one, it's not a big deal for me later to go put it together. Yeah. And that's one thing that I've done is I've created a folder that I call sync in Dropbox. And this was something that I did primarily. Okay. First, I have to say that's a, that's a hilarious name for a Dropbox folder, but okay. <laughs> well, I did it. I did it primarily because um, b- before I was working for myself, I um, I was working for other people and I didn't necessarily want all of my Dropbox folders to sync. But what I put in the, the sync Dropbox folder was specifically things that I wanted to make sure synced on all of my computers, no matter where I was or where I, where I was. So I wanted them to be on my, my home Mac. I wanted them to be on my work Mac, every computer. I wanted to have everything in the sync folder. So things that went in my sync folder were, um, you know, when you could start sharing where your Hazel rule syncs, I had a folder in there called Hazel and all my Hazel rule syncs went in there. My keyboard maestro will allow you to share where things you you can share uh, your keyboard maestro rules and set up a Dropbox sync folder for them. They went in the sync folder. Um, a couple of like the mail rules that I use, like mail act on and mail tags, they can set up sync folders. They all went in there. And so I just made sure that the sync folder was synced to all of my Dropbox accounts. Smart. Uh, another thing you may want to look into, like if you have any special fonts you've purchased, I mean, every year, in fact, we've got it coming up the, um, on January one, every year, comic book fonts, uh, has a sale. It's comicbookfonts.com. They have amazing fonts there. Some of them look hand lettered. And if you do any presenting, you'll find a use to use some of these fonts. They're quite expensive though. I mean, some of them are hundreds of dollars, but every year on New Year's day, they have a sale where it's one penny per year. So it'll be, $20.17 on January 1, 2017. There's some great fonts in there. Hedge backwards. If you're going to buy one, by the way, get hedge backwards. I use that in presentations all the time. But I've got this folder of collected fonts I use. I have my own. I purchased a copy of Futura that I really like that I use on the website. So I've got all those saved on a Dropbox folder, and I make sure those get installed on the machine. See, those would go into the sync folder for me. Yeah, exactly. So we're doing kind of the same thing. Um, and then like, and finally any system maintenance stuff, if you have, you put on, but, but once you go through those steps, you've generally got a working computer and you're going to find a couple things you missed as you went along the way. Um, if you're a, a photos user, 
um, after you've kind of got all this stuff done, you're ready to go to bed, um, open photos and just turn on the sync in photos and let it start grinding away because it's going to be pulling down all your photos and that's going to take a lot of time. But, you know, some of this stuff can happen while, you, while you're asleep. If you've got a lot of data on Dropbox, like I said earlier, that'll happen too. In a day or two, everything will be settled. But for the first day, um, it's going to spend a bunch of time. I mean, that's the, the advantage of doing this stuff now is it doesn't take as much disk swapping and finding cables and hard drives because everything's cloud-based. The downside is your computer is going to be very busy on the internet for a couple of days after you first turn it on. Yeah. And I would say another thing, you mentioned the Photos app. Photos has to be open. It can be minimized, but it has to be opened while it does its whole thing. Um, another one is Backblaze. If you have cloud backup, you can set back and you kind of want to set this up after you get your all of your documents and data transferred over because you don't want to necessarily start a new Backblaze backup. Um, without having all of your data over. But once you're pretty sure you've got all of your data migrated over, um, you can set Backblaze if you use that. And I think CrashPlan has a similar functionality to inherit the backup state of your previous computer so that you don't have to start your backup from scratch. But you're still going to find that it backs up an awful lot the first time because a lot of things are different, even though it's a new computer. Um, so you might want to let that get started too. I want to take a moment and thank our next sponsor, and that is Making Light. You can learn more information at makinglight.com and use coupon code MPU to get a $5 discount off any subscription. Making Light helps create a daily ritual so you can focus on your best work. It allows you to set aside distraction-free time, turn off your notifications, and let the physical act of lighting a candle be a beginning. Let the flicker and subtle scent be a reminder for you to stay in the zone. This helps with creative work, writing, study, meditation, and so many more things. Everything you need is in the box for about 22-hour sessions, which will easily last you about a month. Included are two full-size candles. This includes a monthly featured fragrance, as well as a second from your customized favorites list, plus a sample that allows you to audition next month's featured fragrance. You also receive a box of wooden matches and perhaps my favorite, an encouraging note and perhaps other occasional extras to encourage you to make light by focusing on your best work. Now the holidays are upon us and making light makes a wonderful gift. Dozens of MPU listeners have used Making Light as part of their gift giving. From parents to grad students to spouses to colleagues and friends, people have found Making Light to be a gift that works on so many levels. It's unusual and unique, and it allows people to focus on their best work and leads to ongoing conversations about them and their projects. It lasts for as many months as you like and for at whatever price point makes the most sense. In fact, one of our Mac Power users listeners wrote in to say that giving the gift of making life was one of the best gifts he's ever given. If you can spare two minutes, head over to makinglight.com and watch the introductory video on their website. It is beautifully produced and will give you an idea of what you can expect from a Making Light subscription. You can find more information about the products over at makinglight.com. And don't forget that the coupon code MPU will give you $5 off any subscription. So thank you again to Making Light for their support of Mac Power users. So are you stealing my thunder? Just get it out of the way now. Do you have a MacBook Pro? <laughs> yeah, I got one. Okay. I got one. You said you were done with laptops. I thought I was. You said that you're you're Mr. iPad. You're never buying a laptop again. You Who needs a laptop when you've got an iPad Pro? 
you got rid of your MacBook and gave it to your daughter. And what could possibly compel you to go out and buy a new MacBook Pro? Uh, it was it was a variety of things. That part I I'm in the middle of a um, okay on the legal side of my life. I'm in the middle of a big acquisition for a client. It's a multi million dollar deal. And I've been doing what they call due diligence, which is a fancy legal term with saying, make sure nobody's lying. And uh, so I've been spending a bunch of days in these offices of this company we're buying and I'm doing all this due diligence and people are sending me like 30 and 40 Excel spreadsheets at a time and we're trying to get through them all. And then I've got to email them back. And basically all the stuff that the iPad is bad at, I've got a room full of lawyers looking at me while I'm trying to do it on an iPad. And it's just not working, you know, because some of the Excel stuff doesn't work and uh, it's just been kind of ugly. And I finally that was kind of a tipping point for me. But um, we've got a show we're going to do in a few weeks about the iPad as a laptop and as a second computer. And I still really believe it can be. And for a lot of people, it's fine. But. I was just fighting it too hard. So I just decided, well, you know what? I'll need another laptop. I um, I wasn't using my laptop much and the iPad Pro was working just fine for, I guess, a series of months where I wasn't doing acquisition work. But, um, you know, just a variety of things between that and also wanting to use a Mac outside of my desk sometimes and um, and wanting to talk about it, frankly, on the show and on the website. But the big issue for me was I was sitting in a room full of very expensive people that were getting super annoyed with me being clever with my iPad. And I said, heck with this. I'm just going to go get one. He did it to steal my thunder. This was my moment, David, my moment to have something that you didn't have my moment to have the first Mac that I've bought in years. And you steal my thunder. Sorry, Katie. Well, go ahead and tell the people. What did you get? Well, you first, you first. Well, I want to know which one you got. Everybody knows what I got. Well, you, you got the 13. I got the 13 inch, I got a pretty much decked out 13 inch uh, MacBook Pro. I updated the processor, I updated the RAM, and I've got a 512 hard drive. What did you get? Yeah, so you you got build to order. I didn't because with with the touch bar, yeah, yeah. Because my main thing is, yeah, you know, I'm working at my iMac all most of the time. Even though I've got this now, I'm not using it every day. Um, I've had it about a week now, but I wanted to sh- share it with you, you know, on the show because yeah, he did not share that with me before the show, folks. I could tell <laughs> you're a little annoyed too. Um, but so I, I just went in the Apple store. I I wanted, uh, I knew I wasn't going to be using this portably. Like for instance, when I go to client meetings, I'm still just using my iPad. I'm not, you know, bringing the laptop with me for that stuff. But the, um, so I bought the big one. I got the 15 inch one and I got the, the best 15 inch one I could get in the store, you know, stock. So, cause I wanted, I needed 512 gigabytes, not 256. So I got the 16 gigabyte, 512 gigabyte one that's stock. It's not built to order. Uh, so I think it's the lower graphics card and the lower processor, but for what I'm doing, it's fine. Yeah. I was a little, I was a little hesitant to get it because I was thinking, if I get it, Katie's going to give me so much, you know, she's going to be so mad. Mr. iPad not only needs a Mac, he needs a fully decked out MacBook pro. I got you. Yeah. Why not? Why not? Okay. But it is kind of nice. It is nice having it. All right. Anyway. So, uh, but you had trouble with yours. Yes, I did. So I'm not real sure what what it is, but I, ever since, I have had issues with this MacBook Pro since the day it was delivered. I am currently troubleshooting an issue with Apple Care. We are not sure yet if it's hardware or software. It may be resolved. The machine is working perfectly now and has been for the last couple of days. But 
But all I can do is I'll just share the symptoms with the Mac Power users audience because maybe maybe they've got ideas that I don't. Um, but I will tell you the very first day that I got it, I got it on like a Thursday and didn't have much time to do much with it then because it was a work day. But um, ever since I got it, it never quite felt right. And it was doing weird things like I restarted it once and I got the little mail assistant. I tweeted out a picture of it. And it says, before this Mac can continue, it has to do a software update. And then the software update failed. Very odd. I've never seen this message on a Mac before. And so it got past that. Um, and then it, have you ever come to a Mac where it, it's gone to sleep? And this happened one night. I, I was using it and it was fine on Friday night. Saturday morning, I come to wake it up from sleep and the screen is completely black, except I can still see the cursor. And it will not wake up from sleep. The screen is black. I can see the cursor, but nothing is happening. Nothing is doing anything. So the only way that I can seem to resolve it uh, is to force power off the Mac and power it back on. And I finally get it to power back on again. And when I get it to power back on, none of the apps launch. Safari won't launch. Activity Monitor won't launch. It appears to launch. I mean, I get I get to a finder and I can see it, but everything just beach balls and nothing actually moves between then. Um, you know, it won't, when I go to restart, it won't shut down properly. Uh, it just, it just crashes. And there are all these other kinds of, of weird issues. So I'm, I'm finally, I, I end up, uh, rebooting from the, uh, the software, uh, recovery partition and I reinstall the OS from the recovery partition. And that takes about an hour to complete and it's fine. It works perfectly for that was uh, that was like the Saturday before Thanksgiving and or Sunday, the Sunday app before Thanksgiving. And it works perfectly until the Friday after Thanksgiving. And the same thing happens again. I'm using my Mac. It beach balls. I restart it. It goes to a black screen with just a cursor. I'm going, oh, here we go again. I have to force open it back up again. Same thing. None of the apps are launching. Nothing else. This time, reinstalling from the recovery partition doesn't work, but I did make a um, a USB flash drive, like a USB recovery drive from the uh, from the OS, and reinstalling from that, so from a clean install of the OS, not from my recovery partition, has brought it back. And so we're recording this on Tuesday night, uh, so from, I think, Friday to Tuesday, it's now been working perfectly ever since I did that new reinstall. So I don't know. It it feels very software to me. It feels like deep corruption within the software. But the fact that it keeps happening to me signals that it could be an underlying hardware issue. But I don't know what. I mean, I have nothing installed on this machine. It was a it was a reinstall from scratch. And I don't really have anything installed on this machine that I can't live without. So I don't know what to do. Is it, so is it just when you wake it from sleep that you get this? Well, or it will crash that will or it will start it was a crash that will then cause me it's something that causes it to either go to sleep or causes it to restart. And then it never restarts. I just get a black screen that that causes me to force shut it down. Yeah. Just Googling this while you were talking about it, there are some people writing about it. They call it the black screen of death. I've had someone on Twitter who shared that they've had similar experiences. Yeah. I, I would, I think the first thing you're doing is, is absolutely right. It's a brand new machine. And, um, are you within your two weeks still? I'm within my two weeks, and I spoke to Apple about that, and I'm now with a senior Apple Care rep. I could return it. The problem with returning it um, is it's B2 build to order. Um, so I'm going to have to return it and then get another machine. 
And that's not necessarily a quick process because, as you know, David, I don't live anywhere near an Apple store. So, and because it's built to order, I can't just walk into an Apple store and get another one. Um, and the Apple store senior advisor, and based on my um, my conversations with him, I'm inclined to agree, it feels software. Yeah, but you know, there's just so much going on, like like the power saving, like the, the fact that the screen is black to me makes me think that the power saving stuff is involved somehow. And that's both software and hardware. These things are so complex now. I, I would be so tempted in your shoes. You've still got the old one. No, I don't. I don't. I got rid of it, unfortunately. Yeah. I would be so tempted to say, you know what? I just don't feel good about this machine. Um, Here it is. Give me a new one, please. You know, and, and, um, and see, and even if you have to wait a little, I don't know how long the wait is on one of those, but you know, that's a proper, probably a problem for you. Um, but boy, I, cause I have one other friend that had a problem like that. And I've got a bunch of emails who has a, an issue with the, uh, with some audio stuff where the speaker's making funny noises. And I told him the same thing, you know, if, if it's a brand new thing and it's giving you this kind of trouble, something's wrong, just get a new one and and be done with it because you don't want to spend the next three years regretting keeping this thing because it's, it's you know, like a chronic problem. Right. And of course the Apple care guy asked me right off the bat, he's like, tell me what you have set to launch at login. I'm like, Oh gosh, how much time do you have here? You know, I mean, cause you know, David, you know, the kind of stuff that we're running on it, but it shouldn't have that problem. I mean, just as a, mine, I, all the steps we went through here, I, stuff I did in the last week on this machine, and there's been no problem. I open the lid, it turns on, I close, you know, it's a Mac. It just works like it, they've always worked. So I think there's something going on here. And and uh, so anybody listening to this that has similar issues, immediately document with Apple, especially within those first two weeks. Oh, yeah, I totally have. If it is a stock machine, just take it back and say, give me another one. This is not going to work for me. You know, I don't have time to become your you know your canary in a coal mine and um and do that with the build to order that's that's the hard part for you i mean i don't know what the answer is maybe you just tell them i'm going to order a new one and i want to return this one will you give me a um uh, you know an exception to re you know to keep this for a month until the new one's available and you, you know we can have it deliver the store so you can see i bet if you talk to the manager apple has a lot of flexibility in retail to make you happy. Yeah. Or maybe they can move me to the top of the queue for B2O or something because it's they're 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 shipping out four to six weeks now. Yeah. So I would I would either see if you can get to the top of the queue or if not, then say, well, I'd like to keep this one, you know, until then. And and you know, if it magically solves the problem gets magically solved in the next six weeks, then you know, I'll cancel the order. But my guess is this problem isn't going away. Right. Well, what a what a pain. I'm sorry that you're going through and, that. And, you know, honestly, it has really soured the experience. And and it's because it's your new computer and it's not working. Right. And, you <laughs> know, I'm it. a longtime Mac user and I get that stuff like this happens. But as someone on Twitter said, you know, can you imagine if this were your first Mac, how your what, what your experience would be? But, you know, this stuff happens. I get it. And um, so, yeah, me and uh, my Apple Care buddy, Brian, are we're we're BFS now. Keep uh, another thing you do is there's a log. You know, are you capturing the log after you have the problem? Yeah. And Apple has sent me um, their specific diagnostic software so that anytime anything wonky happens, that I can launch it to do special things to capture the data for them. Excellent. Excellent. Well, uh, 
one way or the other. But it, it, Katie, I would get resolution to this before your two weeks are up. You know, talk to somebody tomorrow and just say, look, if it were me, I would say, look, I don't want to, I, I don't want this machine. <laughs> I just don't, you know, I spent too much money on this to have to think about this as something I have to worry about for the next several years. So, you know, I'd like a replacement. And, and that's the be- thing is when it works, it works great. But all of a sudden, my experience has been one second it works. And then, you know, like I'm sitting here thinking, are we going to be able to make it through this podcast? Am I going to be able to upload my files to you? Because when it works, it works great. And then it stops with no with no rhyme or warning. So, OK, well, I'm sorry. Let, let, let's um setting that aside. Um, I mean, just looking at the media, I don't see an unusual number of reports of people with those types of problems. So maybe, you know, this isn't chronic to a lot of them, but but people are experiencing it and it sounds like you are, too. Well, and, you know, these are things that you have to expect a little more of when it's first gen, you know, because you've got you've got new hardware, you've got new software. Yeah, these things these things happen. But let's talk a little bit more about the computer just in general. As you know, I'm I'm upgrading from a uh, 13-inch MacBook Pro. I'm sorry. <laughs> Air, I am. I'm upgrading to a 13-inch MacBook Pro from a 13-inch MacBook Air and I uh, was a little nervous about that because you know, the MacBook Air has the um has the is known as being, you know, the thinnest, the lightest, the smallest computer up until the the little MacBook that that you used to have was made. Um, and I was really worried about, you know, the, the Mac, the MacBook pro is typically a bigger computer than the MacBook air. And I really did not want a bigger computer, but I can tell you unequivocally, I love the size of this computer. Um, 15 inch was never an option for me. I love the size of a 13 inch computer. Um, despite this machine, not having a taper in every way that is important, this machine is much smaller and much more compact than the 13 inch MacBook Air. Yeah. The reason I decided to go with the 15 inch, frankly, was another reason why I decided to get one is there are some days when I need to work on a Mac, but my office, my home office is a corner. We have a large bedroom and a corner of the bedroom is my office. And I don't want to be in my bedroom all the time doing this stuff. So I thought when I'm going to be away, I want a lot of screen real estate. And I knew that I wasn't going to be carrying this with me every day because like I've said prior shows, I mean, the iPad still is a very good option for most of my work. So, um, so I said, well, then I can afford to get the big one. So that's why I ended up with 15, but I, I see because you've got yours is a jack of all trades. It's your computer everywhere and you're going to be carrying it every day. So 13 makes sense. What do you think about the space gray? I, is that what you got? I love the space gray. Um, it's a nice change. It is dark, but it is not that dark. I mean, it's not like the black book that we used to have when we used to have the Mac black book. Uh, I kind of wish it was a little bit darker, but it's it's definitely a nice change. And um, I'm glad I got the space gray. I don't know that I will always get space gray from here on out, but I'm, you know, after years of having silver laptops, it's nice. Okay, let's talk about the keyboard. That's kind of controversial. A lot of people don't like it. They've got those new switches. Um, You've never really spent much time on one. What is your experience with the keyboard? I hate it. Okay. I mean, you just like absolutely hate it, right? I do. I do. I hate it. Um, I will tell you that I am not a fan of the new keyboard. It feels to me a lot more... If, if you put um, the MacBook Air keyboard, which is Apple's pretty much standard keyboard or was Apple's standard keyboard on, on one end of the spectrum, and then you put the smart key, smart cover keyboard... Um, which is the accessory to the iPad, iPads, uh, iPad Pros, on the other spectrum, because that's about as close as you can get 
to having something that you call a keyboard without actually typing on glass. To me, this new MacBook Pro is far closer in spectrum to the smart uh, keyboard cover than it is to typing on a MacBook Air. And the lack of travel to me really makes me feel like I'm banging my fingers against a hard surface. Now, I will tell you that I don't necessarily always have the lightest touch on a keyboard. I think if you're um, a much lighter typist than I am, you may have less trouble with it. Um, I am a touch typist, so I don't typically look at the keys when I type. I don't hunt and peck. Um, I just, you know, line up and go for it. And I am not a fan of this keyboard. I will tell you that I am getting used to it. The very first day I had this computer, I wrote my first impressions. And I was not convinced at the end of that day that I was going to keep this computer. Um, My hands, as you know, I have a long history of RSI really ached after that first day. And I really think it was probably more of the adjusting to the trackpad, which we'll talk about a little later than it was the keyboard. Um, Thankfully, I did keep at it for another couple of days. And I will tell you now that I, I don't like the keyboard, but it is no longer causing me physical pain to use it for normal periods of time. I'm not sure that I would be able to use it all day, every day as my regular keyboard, though. You, you don't. You said you hate it, though. I mean, people hate Nazis, but you hate the keyboard. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's serious. Let's 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 leave the Nazis out of this, okay? Um, I don't like this keyboard. I would never buy this keyboard if I ever had a choice. But unfortunately, this is the way that Apple is going with all of their laptops. You cannot buy a modern Mac laptop now that doesn't have this keyboard mechanism. Yeah. And, you know, you're not alone. There's a bunch of people that don't like this keyboard. I, It doesn't bother me that much. I, I think I'm kind of keyboard ag- agnostic. I just, to me, a keyboard's a keyboard. Um, so I, I would argue that the smart cover for the iPad Pro keyboard has more travel in it than the keyboard in the MacBook Pro. It's, a, it's actually less travel on the spectrum. The uh, MacBook Pro would actually on the spectrum looking at the MacBook keyboard then this new one with the MacBook Pro, which is a little bit more refined, um, those are both less travel than the smart cover, and and definitely less travel than the i the MacBook Air uh, keyboard or the uh, ex- existing um, Bluetooth keyboard for the for the iMac. Um, but it doesn't really bother me that much. But I do think this is an important issue for people who are considering buying one of these, and you just need to go see if it works for you or not. Well, and but but here's the problem: what what is the alternative? I mean, Apple, Apple has said that, that this is the future of keyboards. I mean, and, and this is something, and I, I've got a blog post in me. I know that I do, and it's going to be really bad when it comes out because so many people are going to hate it and it's, it's going to be a bad thing. But uh, this is one of the things that really frustrates me about Apple right now. Apple has made a conscious decision to go to this keyboard um, probably because it's pretty, because it's thin, because it's sleek, because it's sexy. Um, because they wanted to make the MacBook Pro a few millimeters thinner um, than they otherwise could have. But they did they really do any testing as to how it was from a usability standpoint? Because I would bet that most people who use this keyboard for long periods of time are probably going to tell you that it's less comfortable. And there are, I, I hear from them, there are a large group of people who find this keyboard flat out uncomfortable to use. In fact, one of our friends... Uh, and they've tweeted about this publicly, have said that they actually, they love this computer in every other respect, but they've had to stop using it and are returning it because 
it physically pains them, literally pains them to use this keyboard. And this is an area where Apple has sacrificed quality and comfort for sexy. And, and that bothers me. Yeah, I don't know uh, what the answer for it, but I think if somebody's looking at one of these, spend some time with one in the store and and be aware of that two week period. You know, when you buy an Apple product, you have two weeks to return it, no questions asked. And um, if it's not the right device, you'll know. You'll know probably within a few days, frankly. But the um, but it is what it is. The keyboard is now uh, flat and sexy and uncomfortable. And uncomfortable. <laughs> uh, what about the touch bar? Uh, the touch bar or the trackpad? Doesn't matter. We we'll go either way. Oh, well, let's go to the trackpad. Um, the trackpad, I am not thrilled with either. I think it's too big. Um, and again, I'm not real sure why. I'm not real sure why we had to have this huge... I don't have any... It's. I think it's important to separate out the two main differences of the, the, the trackpad for this machine. One is that it is. it physically has a much larger surface area than previous trackpads. And the other is that it's now force, force click. It doesn't physically move. The, the force click part doesn't bother me at all. I have no problem with the fact that it's force click. The fact that it is so much bigger than previous trackpads, I find problematic. I think it, it, it again is a comfort issue. I think it is so large that it's, it's now creating issues because, you know, your palms are resting on it. It's causing misclicks. I personally find that it's much less comfortable to use because I'm having to contort my hand um, in different ways to particularly to two finger tap, uh, you know, when you do two fingers and your thumb for a right click on the trackpad. Um, I find that I'm missing that very often because of the way that I have to contort my hand now to do that. And maybe I have poor posture. Maybe it's the way that I'm, I'm typing on the trackpad, but, but I find this trackpad much more difficult to use than I found the trackpad on my, and I've been using trackpads for years. I've been using trackpads ever since the trackpads have come out. But I find this trackpad more difficult to use. I find it more uncomfortable to use. Mm, not a fan. See, like with the keyboard, I'm totally with you. It, it is a very different experience. And there are some people that are not going to like it. Um, I have had the trackpad. I'm not with you. I, I mean, I use a lot of gestures and the bigger trackpad makes gestures easier. I mean, I, I love, you know, you know, using these crazy gestures I've developed with these, um, I forget the name of the third party app now, but the, um, I, I run all these, uh, you know, trackpad apps and, um, are you talking about better touch tool? Yeah. Better touch tool. I'm sorry. Just brain farted. But the, um, but I also use just the, the built in gestures like the swipe and the forefinger and all that. Do you use that stuff? Uh, yeah, but I would argue that some of those are more difficult now because the thing's so darn big. Yes. I just haven't had any problems. I haven't had any problems with accidentally tapping it. Um, I don't know. I want to see you type. Maybe we need to see your, 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 I mean, I'm not telling you you're doing it wrong, but I mean, I wonder if that's part of it is the way you type. Maybe is it's just makes it more so, um, subject to, um, to misfires. I don't know. I type 110 words a minute. I mean, when I really get going. Yeah. No, I'm not arguing with you, but I'm just saying I, I, it's cause I just have had not, have not had that issue. Um, I actually like the bigger trackpad, but the, um, but that's okay. I mean, we can disagree on stuff. This sounds really negative for me, doesn't it? No, not really. I mean, I, I, I think part of this is honest. I mean, 
if the keyboard sucks for you, somebody out there listening may it may help them make a decision. I I, I absolutely want you to tell the truth on how you feel about this stuff. Um, the um, now with the touches on this new trackpad, this is the first time you've used one of these trackpads that's you know not a physical trackpad. Does that bother you at all? No, the force click part does not bother me at all. That I think is fine. Yeah, it it definitely doesn't feel like a traditional trackpad click. I I felt with this one more than any I've ever had because I've had a couple of these force touch um, trackpads, and this one feels more artificial to me than any I've ever used before. But it doesn't bother me either. So, so there you have it. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Squarespace. The simplest way for anyone to create a beautiful landing page, website, or online store? Start building your website today at squarespace.com and enter the offer code MPU at checkout to get 10% off your first purchase. The new year is sneaking up on us, and maybe it's time for you to start thinking about building a website. It may be a website for your own personal interests, your work, or maybe even a social or charitable commitment that you have. No matter the reason, it's never been easier than now to build your own website with Squarespace. You may think it's enough just to have a Facebook page, but it's not. Facebook is owned by other people. You want to own your presence on the web and you want to control it. And you can do that very easily with a website you build with Squarespace. Squarespace is the easiest way for anyone to create a beautiful landing page, website, or online store. No matter how much or how little experience you have with creating websites, Squarespace is all you need. It puts the power you need in your hands and takes away the pain points. That's why I host both MaxSparky.com and my legal practice on a Squarespace website. I don't have to worry about hosting or scaling. I just got linked by John Gruber this past week and I got a ton of hits. My website stayed up and running smoothly because I'm on Squarespace. Squarespace isn't just rock solid, it's also professionally designed, and it makes you look great. The site templates are stunning, and they feature responsive design. You can go in and manually change them without a lick of programming knowledge. They are constantly adding new templates, so no matter what look you're going for, you can accomplish it with Squarespace. But that's just getting started. They have a bunch of additional features like 24-7 support with live chat and email, they have a commerce platform so you can add commerce to your website and start selling things right away. They even have the cover page feature so you can build a great looking single page website. If you sign up for a year, you'll also get a free domain name, allowing you to choose exactly what you want your site to be called. Squarespace plans start at just $12 a month. So go ahead and start a trial with no credit card required and start building your website today by going to squarespace.com. When you decide to sign up, make sure to use the offer code MPU to get 10% off your first purchase and to show your support for Katie and I at the Mac Power Users. We thank Squarespace for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. All right, let's talk about the touch bar. That's something that everybody wants to know about. That's what really the defining feature of these new MacBook Pros. Yeah, it's interesting because it's Apple's take. You know, when you look at Microsoft is releasing an iMac that's a full touchscreen. Apple's take is, no, we're going to put a touchscreen next to your fingers on the keyboard. And there's a whole discussion we could have about which one of those makes more sense. But this is the Apple approach at this point. And um, and I I actually, um, 
Well, you tell me what you think about it first, I guess. <laughs> it feels like you feel nervous now to tell me what you, what you think about the touch bar. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I, um, I, I think we're kind of in agreement. It's not all that useful for a power user because uh, a lot of the stuff is keyboard shortcuts. I mean, I look at it when I'm in Apple Mail and it's got the little send button that looks really clever and I can reach up and tap it and send an email, but I can also hit command shift D, which is a way I send emails without even having to move my fingers up to the um, menu bar. And I've done that for years and that's ingrained with me. So um, for someone, and we, in fact, I made the observation when they first announced this, that I thought someone like your mom would be a really good candidate for the touch bar because she doesn't know about command shift D, right? She doesn't do that stuff. So it makes stuff accessible to her. And in applications where I'm not a, a keyboard ninja and I don't know all the keyboard shortcuts, things are showing up there that I am pushing. Fantastical just came out with an update uh, just today as we record the show where they put a scrolling list of the days up there. And I've already found that useful when wanting to see what I'm doing next Thursday. I can just scroll and tap on it with my finger and see it. One uh, password has done some really, I mean, there, there's some third-party apps that have done some really cool stuff with the touch bar. So. Um, uh, you know, at first I was impressed and then I realized I wasn't looking at it much. And now I'm finding that with certain apps, I find myself looking at it more than others. How does that differ from your experience? No, I think your experience and mine are, are pretty similar. I, I would say that the touch bar is growing on me, but it still feels fairly gimmicky. Um, and, and as you said, it, right now, anything that you can do with the touch bar can be done with the keyboard and typically power users can do it faster. Uh, there haven't been a few. Well, not, not anything though. Like for uh, fantastic Cal is a good example. I want to see what's going on next Thursday. Yeah. That's what I was going to get to. I mean, I think right now with Apple apps, that's true. One of the things that I was going to say is that I think third party developers are, are doing a better job here than Apple has of figuring out new and innovative uses to use the touch bar. I think Apple has just kind of put what used to be keyboard shortcuts in the touch bar, and perhaps that's why I've not been particularly pleased with it. But I think as we start to see third-party apps come out, or excuse me, third-party developers come out with apps for the touch bar, I'm getting more excited about it as time goes on. Yeah, some other things that delight me on it, um, and Apple Mail, um, they've added this machine learning thing. It started on iOS, it's made its way to the Mac now, where the app tries to predict where you want to move a message, whether you want to move it to the archive or move it to some other folder. It's not super great, but it seems like it's getting better. And it does that predictive move in the touch bar in Apple Mail. So I've got an email open. I can just look down and and quite often it'll say move to this folder. And it's the folder that I actually want to move this to. And I just reach up with my finger and tap that and it's moved. Um, That is clever. And, um, and that made me happy. And 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 also just I kind of sort of related touch bar. A touch ID is awesome. That's something I will unqualifiedly say is awesome. I mean, I open one password, I put my finger on it, and I get access to my data. I don't have to type my super long password. I open the Mac up, I put my finger on it, it unlocks the Mac. Um, sometimes my watch beats it. It just depends. There's always a little race going on. But um, I think this touch ID on the Mac, I didn't know how useful it would be. Now that I've spent a week with it, it should be on every Mac. I mean, they need to find a way to add it to the keyboard for the iMac. They need to get it into whatever the MacBook Air is going to become. The the plain MacBook needs it. I think whether or not they put touch bar and everything, this this uh, touch ID is really a nice experience for a Mac user. So I hope everybody can get that one soon. I agree. However, I will say that for me, touch ID has worked fairly inconsistently. Generally, touch ID works 
where you would expect it to work on an iPhone. So for example, Touch ID typically works when you wake your Mac from sleep or from a screensaver, but it doesn't work for your initial startup. Just like if you turn your iPhone off and restart it, Touch ID doesn't work there either. Um, But there, I've also found several areas of the OS where Touch ID should work, but it doesn't. Like unlocking system preference panes. I found somewhere it works on, but mostly it doesn't. Like I was just installing Keyboard Maestro and I needed the accessibility access for it and wouldn't do it. Had to go down and type in the password for that. And installing applications or sometimes when the system asks for your password, it works. Sometimes it doesn't. And I don't know if that's based on how the developer has written that request or a number of other factors, but it it just seems to be a little bit of, of hit or miss. Here's my concern about Touch Bar. And I am concerned is, is Touch Bar the new 3D Touch? And and what I mean by that is since Touch Bar right now is only available on a select lineup, just like 3D Touch only works on the iPhones. It doesn't work on the iPads. And for a long time, it only worked on, you know, the most current iPhones. Now it works on both the iPhone um, 6S and on the iPhone 7. Does that mean that we'll never really get anything great in the Touch Bar? Because Apple can't because it can't do it because it's not universal across all Macs. Um, So does that mean we'll get a few novel things in the touch bar, but as a result, developers and Apple aren't going to spend much time and effort on it because it's not universal across all devices. I mean, Apple had to spend, as Jason Snell rightly pointed out, a ton of developer time and resources in developing the touch bar from the beginning because they had to totally... Um, you know, rethink the way that they were going to develop their operating system and their Macs. So there were a lot of resources that went into the touch bar but where does it go from here? And I guess that's my question is because the, the touch bar is not ubiquitous, how how much is it going to take off? How much attention are third-party developers going to pay to it? How much attention is Apple going to pay to it? I think you kind of answered your own question, though. I mean, the 3D touch was only in the new iPhones last year. Now it's in two years worth of iPhones. And um, this thing, I think, over time is going to grow. Um, as we understand, Apple hasn't been totally upfront with everything involved, but I understand it's got its own separate ARM chip. It's almost like an Apple Watch brain driving this little tiny um, OLED screen at the top of your Mac's keyboard. So it's it's a computer within a computer. And, um, you know, in a year, that's going to be a lot cheaper to make, and they're going to have a lot more experience making them than they have now when it's brand new. I fully expect this thing to make its way across the line. And, um, you know, and I, I fully expect the software to get better with time. I mean, they they shipped it. They've got it out now. My guess is a lot of the, you know, the complaints you have and some of the system preferences, it's not there yet. I think that's stuff you're going to see get fixed over time. So I think this is only going to get better. And I think it's going to be, um, I think it's going to spread across the line of Macs. And I really hope they make one on an external keyboard at some point, because I think it's good enough and it's worth using enough, even if it's just the touch ID, but, but even like the little tools that show up, it's nice. And I also feel like another thing about the touch bar that I really have come to appreciate about it is it, it feels like it's adding a little bit of whimsy to the Mac in an era where Apple seems to not, you know, do much whimsy anymore. So, uh, uh, I think it's a good thing. I think, as you were saying, Jason said, there's a lot of resources that went into to making this work. There's a, you know, the fact that it works in Apple Mail and Pages and Keynote and Microsoft Word and everywhere else, you know, kind of out of the box means that people have invested in this thing. And um, and I fully expect it to be around for a while. I, I think this is 
Apple trying to find a way to bring the Mac into this touch world in a way that makes sense to them. Yeah, we're starting to run a little long, so I, I want to move on. Uh, let's talk a little bit about power. I am finding that I'm not getting nearly as good a battery life as I expected. And I will preface that somewhat by saying um, my machine is, number one, there may be something wrong with my machine. We, we kind of talked about that at the beginning. Um but um, I and I am also still doing the initial setup. I, I made a mistake when I created my this is one of the pain points that I had with my machine is I screwed up when I set up my Mac from scratch. So don't do this as I accidentally renamed my home folder. Uh, my home folder's name has always been Katie and I accidentally renamed it Katie Floyd. Uh, so I'm having to do a lot of refile uploads and backup that I probably shouldn't have had to do if I had done everything correctly. So like my Backblaze is running, I've got new time machine things running. And so I've got a yeah, lot. Pick one username and, and always use it from then on. I know. Yeah. Um, so I've got a lot. My point being is I've got a lot of stuff going on in the background, but I will tell you that I'm regularly getting only about three to four hours under what I would consider normal load. Um, I'm hoping that will straighten itself out as my machine gets back to normal and a lot of this stuff is no longer going on in the background, but we'll see. Yeah, I I don't know. It's too early to tell. I, you know, one of the main reasons I bought this is because I'm working on this big deal and I spent eight hours yesterday in somebody's office with this thing without attaching the battery and it was fine. I wasn't, I was using a lot of Excel and Word documents and email. I was not using it in ways that are going to, traditionally grind the battery down. So I'll give you an example. Um, we had people over for Thanksgiving and, you know, we had that summer of weddings last summer. So one of the things that my mom sprung on me that she wanted me to do is she wanted me to put together a simple photo montage. Is there such a thing really? Um, of of the the weddings and set that to music so that we could show about an eight minute photo montage of all the weddings at Thanksgiving. And so I did that using iPhoto. I didn't do a whole um, photo magico thing, but the the process of going through, uh, you know, several hundred photos, pulling out about 80 photos, putting them into iPhoto, putting them into a uh, a slideshow, you know, tweaking them, setting them to music. I mean, you know what that process is involved. It took about between an hour and a half and two hours. And that wasn't the, the only thing that we were doing. And by the time I handed off my machine, I was under 20% battery life left. Yeah, that doesn't seem right. I'm really worried about your machine, Katie. Well, now you've got me really worried about my machine. Will you just call him tomorrow and tell him? And and tell him that, that David Sparks says I need to replace my machine. Tell him that your counsel has advised you. Yes. <laughs> but I mean, I, I can't imagine that they wouldn't. If you say, look, I'm ordering a, a replacement, build an order because you guys can't make it fast enough. I would like, you know, to, to get your permission to keep this one until it comes. And and just tell them I'm really not satisfied. I need this, you know, and I don't know. I, I can't imagine that the Apple gang wouldn't wouldn't play along with you for that because you're they're still getting your money. That's I true. Mean. That's true. Um, the uh, another issue with power um, while we're on it is lack of MagSafe. Um, this has this has nothing to do with my problems, but um, but but it is related to a computer that has low battery life because you're going to have it plugged in more. It is, but I will say um, I had my first incident today with lack of MagSafe. I, I totally expect that. I mean, everybody's acting like the removal of MagSafe. Well, you know, you had to do it. Blah blah blah. We'll get by without it. These are all people that have been using MagSafe so long that they've lost track of the number of times that the, that the dog ran by and just dis, disattached it or the kids or, you know, they, they opened a drawer and pulled the cord and, you know, yanked it loose. I mean, there are going to be broken Macs because there's no no MagSafe anymore. Absolutely. Yeah. I, in fact, this me, I am. Um... 
I, I pace when I talk and I was pacing around my office and I had the cord all attached because I don't have my cords all nightly nicely tied up yet. Um, I had the cord, it was dangling on the floor and my foot got caught up in the cord and off the computer came, fell off my desk onto the carpet. Thankfully onto the plushy carpet. It was fine. Okay. But, um, we don't want Apple to hear that part when you return that. It, it's it's fine. Um, when I say it fell to the floor, I meant it fell into my outstretched arms and I lovingly caught it and cradled it. And it's fine. Yes. Like an angel. Yes. With a pillow. I was carrying a pillow at the time. The um, No, I, I totally uh, agree. I think if you are um, if you are getting one of these and you're going to be using it somewhere where there's any risk of this. There are some third-party options out there. There is Griffin has one, and then there is also a new Kickstarter out. Uh, forget the name. Do you remember the name of that one? Yeah, I ordered. I put a link in the show notes, and I've ordered two of them. And it's a. It's. A, I think the one on Kickstarter uh, looks a little cleaner, but basically they're both the same thing. Uh, the one with Griffin is actually connected to a USB-C cable. A Snapinator. Yeah, Snapinator. So, so it's just it's got a it's basically a MagSafe connection, but it, so it adds maybe a half an inch to the outside because you've got to plug a thing in, and then it's got the MagSafe it's connected to that, and then it's a female receptor for your USB C cable. Uh, if you have, um, if you're using it, if you're moving around, get one for the office, get one for the home. Um, the downside is you have got this little thing protruding out the side. If that really bugs you, pull it out when you're not using it, but. Um, if you're going to be using around cables a lot, man, that that is that's a great device, and uh, I think it's totally worth the money to uh, to have it there. Um, dongles. Well, actually, uh, let's talk about the screen because this is the first time you've used a Retina Mac, isn't it? Yes. Um, it's nice. Yeah, you're just not you're just not that impressed. I am not. I I will tell you. You told me as soon as I went Retina, I would never go back, and I would be spoiled and ruined forever. It's nice. But I'm wow. I'm not blown away. It is not the experience that I was expecting it to be. And frankly, I'm a little disappointed in you. Hashtag Katie is not impressed. Katie is not impressed. Um, it's fine. I look at my daughter's iMac and I'm like, my eyes bleed. I'm like, how did I ever work on a computer like that after I've been looking at retina screens now for a while? I, I just can't imagine going back. Well, it, it could be one of two things. It, it could be that my eyes either are not good enough to appreciate it or are not bad enough to appreciate it. I'm going to go with are not bad enough to appreciate it, but it could be the other way around. I love the retina screen so much. I love looking at my screen like it's a piece of paper and I don't see individual dots. And I just think once, I don't know, that's weird that that, that doesn't impress you, but that's okay. Everybody's entitled. Uh, what would you buy to go with, along with your fancy MacBook Pro? All right. So I debated back and forth. And, and I got to tell you, this is an area where Apple lost me. I, I Because uh, honestly, my 24-inch Apple Cinema display suits me just fine. But but um, because I cannot go um, with a non-retina display with a retina MacBook, because you just tell me that's wrong. Um, yeah, it's, it's totally wrong. You got to spend money, Katie. Um, I've decided that I am going to upgrade my display. And so I went back and forth, back and forth about the displays to buy. And um, the reason I say Apple lost me is because, David, if that Apple LG 27-inch display, 5K display, had been available for purchase the day I bought the Mac, I would have not been thrilled, but I would have added it to the cart. I would have grinned and bared it, and I would have bought that display at the same time I bought my Mac. But it was not available. And so instead, I waited, and I looked, and I shopped. 
And then the display was not available on Black Friday. No deals, no nothing. Okay, now they did drop the price. So it's about, it, it's supposedly 25% off now. It's like $900 through December or almost $1,000 through December. And so I, I got word yesterday that the display is now available in the Apple store and that it ships in four to six weeks, which is not December. And so I pulled up my iPhone and I pulled up the Apple store app because that's how I prefer to buy things because you can pay with Apple Pay and it's so much easier. And I pulled up the the display that I had favorited in the Apple store and was ready to buy it. And it was not available for purchase on my iPhone through the Apple store app. Maybe, maybe it just wasn't available through the Apple store. Had it been available to purchase through the Apple store app, I would have hit the add to cart button and I would have put my finger on the, on the button and I would have um, had it bought, but it wasn't. And I just kind of took that as a sign as, you know what, maybe this wasn't meant to be. So what'd you do? Instead, I went out and bought the 24-inch Dell 4K display for $350. Well, let us know what you think of it. So again, Apple, shame on you. You didn't have this ready. You could have had me, and you didn't. Hashtag Katie is not impressed. <laughs> Hashtag Katie is not impressed. So um, We've got to get a picture of you with your arms folded. Yes. I, I, I know it's out there. <laughs> Somebody send it to me, please. Um, <laughs> the um, A couple of things. Number one, I saved a ton of money. I, I, I know it's not as good a display. Number one, it's 24 inches versus 27. They have a 27-inch version that I almost bought, but then I was kind of looking at my desk and my setup, and I think 27 actually would be a little too big, so I intentionally went for the 24. There was a there was a lot of talk on Twitter about the, the Dell 4K display has the same resolution in 24 and in 27, so if you stretch it out to 27, you're really not getting uh, as good a resolution. So... Casey Liss in particular felt very strongly that if I was going to go with a 4K display, it had to be a 24-inch and not a 27-inch. That would make sense, really. I mean, there's a reason why the 5Ks are all 27. Yeah, so that that made sense. That was one of the reasons why I went with the 24-inch. Um, the, the other big issue is obviously it was a lot less expensive. This was a $350 display you know, versus a $1,000 display. And there's a lot I can do with that extra money. Um, yeah, you could buy a lot of dongles with that extra 600 bucks. You can buy a lot of dongles. I can buy a, a Thunderbolt dock. Um, or what I did this weekend, I could buy a new set of tires for my car. There you go. So we'll see. I mean, if I'm really not impressed with it, then I'll, I'll probably shell out the money and get the Apple display. You know what, though? I think you'll be impressed with it. I think for, for what you're doing, if, if that's the right size for your desk is 24 inch. I don't think you're going to see any difference between an LG and a Dell display. I just don't. And they, they both have a USB-C connection, right? No, they don't. The Dell display is DisplayPort. So I got a DisplayPort to USB-C cable. Um, what I'll probably do is I'll probably look at it and say, yeah, it's fine. And I'd much rather say it's fine for a $350 display than for a $1,000 display. Well, if, you, if you're not that excited about Retina at all, then I'm not sure why you would need to spend a bunch of money on a Retina screen for your desk. The other thing is I, what I probably will do is the, the, the big advantage of the Apple display is it did have the built-in, you know, cable management and all. I will probably now pick up an extra power adapter from Apple. Um, but, you know, that's, that's minimal cost compared to what I was going to spend for the Apple display. I know we've gone along, but I don't care. Let's just finish this, this conversation. What, what kind of dongles are you buying for this fancy new computer? So, so many dongles. Um, so I bought the Snappinator. Hopefully that'll show up in July. Um, I bought a couple of dongles um, and I ended up actually, by the time it was all said and done, I ended up buying most of them for Apple. Um, I, I tried to buy a couple of the inexpensive USB-C to A dongles off of Amazon, 
but I had hit or miss luck with them. I found about 50% of them didn't work all the time. And I'm just not going to put up with that. Did you see there there was an article? Um, I don't remember the exact percentage, but a ridiculous number of the made for Apple devices sold on Amazon aren't actually made for Apple. And they're just cheap, you know, knockoffs from some factory that isn't really, you know, using the quality materials and people are buying this stuff thinking it's going to work and it doesn't work. Well, and these were never to be clear, these adapters were never claimed to be made by Apple. Um, you know, these are just generic USB-C to A adapters. Yeah, unfortunately, Amazon is becoming a place where you have to be careful, you know, when it's stuff like this, what you buy. I mean, it's just like uh, phone batteries, you know, when you buy these external batteries. The reason why I keep leaning on two or three manufacturers is because they're people I trust. And there's a bunch of stuff out there that is just being made really bad and um and can cause problems. So I, I think you're you're right. It'll, and Apple lowered the price on their own dongles. So now it's not such a big price difference either. Wh- which ones did you get? I, I bought a couple of the um, USB-C to A adapters from Apple. Um, they're kind of big and bulky, but there you go. I think unnecessarily so, but I did. Um, wherever I could, I tried to buy cables in place of adapters. So, for example, I bought a couple of USB type C to USB B cables, you know, one for my podcaster, my Rode podcaster, um, one for my current USB-C dock, because that then just makes everything that I plug into the dock USB-C. Um, I bought the Apple uh, digital AV multi-port adapter that's got um, a USB-A, a um, a pass-through USB-C, and then it's got an HDMI adapter. And then I bought the Belkin USB-C to VGA adapter that's just VGA on it because I didn't need another multi-port adapter. It was about half the cost. Um, And then I bought the uh, Thunderbolt 3 to Thunderbolt 2 adapter because that was the only way by using the Belkin th- your monitor. Yeah, by using yeah. the Belkin Thunderbolt dock as an intermediary, that was the only way to make my existing monitor work. Yeah, I haven't bought any dongles. I, I own an existing USB C to USB A dongle because I had the, the MacBook before and I haven't plugged it in yet. I just this is a second computer, so I don't need to make sure it works with a scanner and everything. It's just so I, I haven't really had any issues yet. I I haven't I haven't had the nece- uh, the need to buy any any um adapters uh, i do think that this whole thing with the dongles I, I understand why people are upset and it's never fun to be part of a transition but literally everything about USB-C is better than USB-A it's smaller it's faster it you can turn it in um magsafe well that's a different magsafe was never a USB connection i mean so that's a whole different argument they just they took that out but but like the stuff that uses a USB-A cord, it's like you can turn it upside or upside down or right side up. It doesn't matter. Everything about it is better. I think that it, this is a good move and it needs to happen. And so we're going to have a little bit of pain while we do it, but we'll get through it. And in a few years, we'll be, be like, you know, re- remember when we used to have those, what was it? The serial port that had like the, was I think 32 different pins in it and one would bend and the thing wouldn't work anymore. And it was as thick as your finger. I mean, all this stuff evolves and we're just in the middle of another evolution. So I don't really give, I know some people it's popular to write about how Apple is ruining this computer by putting these USB-C ports in. I don't think that that's a mistake. I think they're doing the right thing, but whatever. Um, anything else did you buy for the uh, for the fancy new MacBook Pro? Well, let's talk about bags because it's a different size, different form factor. So we should talk a little bit about um, bags. 
I am trying the uh, the Waterfield designs, and this is a, a tip I got from you because I, I really like the Waterfield cases, or you really like the Waterfield cases, and you turned them on to me. Um, so they sent me out, I think it's called, is it called the Side Case, the S-Y-D-E case? This is their their new bag. It's it's pretty sweet. It's a it's it's a how do I describe this? It is a um it is a sleeve, but it has a pouch on it. Okay. Kind of minimalist. Yeah, it's kind of the best of both worlds. You um you get a minimalist sleeve bag, but you know, you always need to carry a few extra things, like a few extra dongles and maybe a battery and maybe a power cord and some other things. So then it has this little pouch on the side, and then it also has a little sling that you can can put around it so you can, you know, carry it on your shoulder. Um and I've never had a waterfield bag before, and it is really really nice. I will tell you the very first impression that I got out of it is I pulled it out of the FedEx box and I took the um the the plastic off of it and I was just overwhelmed in a positive way by the smell of the leather. It was just the best smell ever. Um and you can tell that this is a really quality. I mean the craftsmanship is is top notch. It is nice. I have um you know I've over the years I there in San Francisco and I met somebody from Waterfield years ago and I started buying their stuff. And I think Connor, remember Connor? Yeah. yeah oh, yeah. Con- no, Connor's not from Waterfield, though. But no, 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 no. But he, he just had their bag. Yeah. And I saw his. I was really impressed. So I bought one and I, I bought I just bought a um a sleeve for the dash, you know, because they call it the dash sleeve for this new MacBook. Because I when I carry this thing, like I said, this is not a computer I'm going to be carrying with me every day. I'm going to be carrying it in my briefcase, like for important stuff for work. And occasionally it slides into my backpack, which doesn't need a sleeve, but the, the briefcase does. So they have a simple dash sleeve. I think it was like 60 bucks that is really nice and leather and wraps it nicely. But the, um, but yeah, they have good stuff. I, I do. I've come to really appreciate their bags and backpacks. So it was, um, I, I like it a lot and it's definitely going to probably be my go-to bag for this. I like it because it's small and minimalist, but it's got that little pouch. It's, it's like a little kangaroo that you can carry extra stuff in. So overall, I, I'm not sure, Katie, are you, um, are you uh, feeling like this is the wrong purchase for you or where are you at? I mean, there's a lot of stuff here you don't like. I don't know. Um, obviously a lot of this has been overshadowed by the fact that I, I might have a dud. Um, and that has overshadowed a lot of that. So I'm trying really hard to take that out of the factor and take that out of consideration because that's not fair. I mean, that that is something that likely just happened and certainly doesn't happen to anybody or it happened to everybody else. You know, I, I don't know. I, I What I, I guess I keep coming back to is I feel kind of stuck. I don't really know what the other option is. I feel I almost canceled this machine, as you know, and decided to wait for a new um, iMac and and go to an iMac for my my main computer as opposed to a MacBook Pro. But just as you've come to the conclusion that you still need a laptop, Mr. iPad still needs a laptop. Yeah. I know that I need a laptop. I will always need an Apple laptop. And for me, ever since the Titanium PowerBook in 2001, I have had a laptop as my, I've always gotten a fairly high-end laptop and used that as my primary machine. And that has worked well for me since 2001. And I see no reason why that shouldn't continue. I don't want to have a nice fancy iMac and then a less fancy laptop. And I guess I just honestly, I feel a little stuck because I don't know what the alternative is. I don't know if maybe this is a transition year. Certainly to some degree with USB-C it is. But I, a lot of this I don't see changing. The keyboard's probably not changing. The trackpad is probably not changing. I mean, they may make a few iterations on it here or there, but I don't think Apple sees any of these things as a problem. 
I think that you're going to get whatever this problem you're having is going to get resolved one way or another. But the um, uh, the things that I'm hearing from you, two of the biggest complaints are keyboard and trackpad. And I think one solution for you would be spend another 350 bucks and put a 24 inch monitor on your desk at your work and get a, whatever keyboard you want. Get the most clickety clack keyboard and whatever trackpad and mouse you want and dock this thing. That, that's what I do. Yeah. You're only using the keyboard when you're not at your desk at home or at work, which my guess would be is not a, a huge amount of time. Correct. And then you've got the power of the new machine and, you know, move on. But the uh, but I don't think the answer for you is go back to a MacBook Air because the stuff you do really kind of needs the power this thing has. Yeah. And, and so there's a lot to like about this machine. I like the power. It's a beautiful machine. I'm, I really don't like the keyboard and the trackpad. They're growing on me the longer that I use them. But again, I don't know what the alternative is. And I feel really bad for the few friends of ours who simply cannot use this machine because I don't know what the alternative is for them. Well, my I've only been using it a week and the, the thing, you know, I kind of rage purchased it because I, I left a meeting that was just very frustrating. You know, I, I, we're going to do a show, a whole show on using the iPad and it's coming up. So I'm, I'm done teasing that, but there's some really great stuff. And the conclusion from David will be he bought a MacBook Pro. Well, my, the conclusion would be for a lot of people, it's fine. But, you know, and we're going to talk very specifically about the things where it doesn't work. Um, but either way, so I, I about to say, I'm not going to be using it every day, uh, but I'm going to be using it enough that justifies the purchase and it's working fine for me. And I, I'm not really pushing it as hard. It's, it's a, it's a second computer. And, um, when I do need it, it's nice. And when I decide that I need a Mac, but I don't need a Mac, it's in the corner of my bedroom. It's nice having one that I can take with me. So I'm happy with it. I, I, the keyboard is fine for me, as I said, uh, I think the touch bar is cool. I'm really curious to see where it all goes and I don't have any regrets. I'm happy with it. Um, but I, uh, I'm very curious to see here how this all works out. So Katie, you're going to report back to us uh, whether or not you get this machine working and, and how you find peace with this new trackpad and keyboard. So uh, I, I look forward to hearing about that in future shows, but that's enough for today. I want to thank our sponsors, uh, Pearl rear vision camera, which is uh, an awesome new sponsor for us and uh, Squarespace middle David and smile. Um, if you have feedback for us, send it out to feedback at MacPowerUsers.com. You can also find us on Twitter. We are at MacPowerUsers. Katie is at Katie Floyd, and I am at Max Sparky. We've got our feedback show coming up soon. Uh, so uh, let us know what you think about all this stuff, and uh, we look forward to hearing from you. Music.